That leaked draft opinion is leading to renewed calls to expand the Supreme Court. 10, 12, 14 justices. What would that do to your rights and your freedom? I'm Stuart Shepard, and this is First Liberty Live. We're going to talk a lot about the Supreme Court today, and specifically the threat of court packing along the way. And we, I want to just make sure you know about a, a resource that we've provided for you. It's, it's at SupremeCoup.com. It's all the facts and history about court packing so that you can understand it better. And also, it helps when it comes to explaining it to family and friends, uh, the dangers of that. You know, I listened to our guest today, uh, most days on my drive into work. I like to describe my drive-in as precisely one episode of the briefing long. Uh, Dr. Albert Moeller is president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, he's authored nine books. He speaks all over the country. He is a content-producing machine. Hi, Al. It's good to be with you and with First Liberty. Lots to talk about. Yeah, it's good to see you. I know, and, and people may have heard that, that you came down with COVID. Just a quick update on your health before we start. Thank you. I got some good treatment and uh, I'm, I'm doing much better. Thank you. It's uh, just a reminder that we live in a fallen world and uh, these viruses are real, but uh, I'm, 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 I'm thankful to be doing much better. I'm glad you're back to your routine and pray that you have the energy to push through because I know you keep a busy schedule. I, before we get to the, the topics today, this is the National Day of Prayer. And I just wanted to ask you off the top, what would you recommend for us to put on our list of things to be praying about today? Well, you know, the idea of the National Day of Prayer is a concerted prayer, uh, which is directed towards the nation. And, you know, if, if this week Christians don't have a full list to, to think about how we should pray for our nation, you have to wonder if they're, if they're aware at all. But, you know, I do sense that in the bigger picture, Stuart, we're, we're living in a, in, a, in a turning time in this, in this culture. And uh, I think most of us recognize the tectonic plates of the culture are moving. And uh, we, we just need to pray that the Lord will intervene. Uh, so that uh, this uh, grand experiment in ordered liberty can be preserved. And, uh, and as we know as Christians, uh, this, uh, this constitutional republic can, can only uh, be preserved if certain truths are honored, if certain virtues are honored. And so, uh, you know, th this constitutional order does not stand on its own two feet. And, and we as Christians understand there's a foundation that has to be under um, uh, any civilization. And uh, it's, it's for that civilization, for that foundation and its preservation, I think we should be praying. When we were scheduling you for, you for today to talk to you, my producer asked me, what, what are you going to want to talk to Dr. Mueller about? And I told her, eh, there'll probably be something in the news that'll show up that week that, <laughs> that we can hit on. So right, we all know about the leaked memo from the U.S. Supreme Court. And uh, there are a lot of people talking about the implications for Roe v. Wade and the life issue. And, and that's being covered so extensively. I'd like to move to an issue right alongside that one. And that is this. I'd like to get your thoughts thoughts on what this leaked document does to the Supreme Court, because in a very real sense, it's an attack on the institution of the courts in America, as well as the deliberative process that it takes for our system to function properly. Yeah, you know, uh, I think most Americans don't think much about the judiciary and the judicial branch of our government, the separation of powers. Um, and, and there's a sense in which uh, that 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 should be the way it it it, it uh, should operate in the sense that it should be, as the founder said, the least dangerous branch of government. <laughs> um, but right now we understand that the court and uh, in particular, the Supreme Court of the United States has been at the center 
of American public life in a way that's unprecedented for the course of the last 50 to 60 years. And uh, the court operates differently than every other branch of government. Now, I think most Americans don't understand the court only speaks uh, when it speaks officially in a ruling. Uh, that, 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 that's it. it. It doesn't have opinions. And uh, so, you know, everybody sticks a microphone in front of a politician and says, what's your opinion? Well, the Supreme Court is not to be made up of opinions um, that are spoken by individuals, but rather it is a court that speaks. And by the way, that again is why a 5-4 decision and a 9-0 decision have the same standing, actually, in terms of the law. That's right. Regardless of the vote, the court has spoken and the court is one voice. Now, getting to that one voice requires nine human beings, nine very real human beings, who, in, in the case of the current court, have deep divisions of worldview and uh, constitutionalism between them. It takes nine individuals getting to the point where they're ready to speak to the public and say, here's the majority uh, 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 opinion. That means this is the ruling of the court. Here are the other arguments that were made. Uh, in dissenting opinions, they're not the winning arguments. In concurring opinions, more to say about the argument. But that's the final finished product. None of that works if it's leaked as a work product in the middle. And uh, it's an insidious assault upon the integrity of the judicial branch of the United States government. And that's, it's a threat against our constitutional order. This leak is not only nefarious, this, this leak is treasonous uh, when it comes to the operation of our, our federal republic. Those are strong and, words. Uh, well, I mean, we're looking at an attempt to try to subvert the court. And in this case, it had to come from within someone who had access to those files. But it is unabashedly, unquestionably, an attempt to subvert the authority of the Supreme Court of the United States. And um, that's a very dangerous thing. I, as an organization, First Liberty Institute has been heavily engaged in educating people about the dangers of court packing, what that would do to the Supreme Court, as well as, as uh, cases that show up there. As we saw the likelihood of several blockbuster Supreme Court decisions coming down this spring, we knew that that would reignite calls for, to add additional seats to the court. Help us understand what is being asked for and what that would do to the Supreme Court if indeed they added those additional seats alongside the nine that are there now. You know, as we think about our Constitution, go back to 1788, 1789, here is one thing I wish they had done. I wish they'd established a set number of seats on the Supreme Court and uh, so that that was not up to congressional interference. And yeah. so if I could go back uh, to the to, to the framers of the Constitution in 1788, I would say, now, wait just a minute, just say how many judges are to sit on this court, because <laughs> otherwise it's going to be politicized in, in terms of the number. And, and yet you know that uh, in order to end that politicization, uh, decades and decades ago, the Supreme Court uh, was settled on the number nine. And uh, through all of the tumult of the 20th century, uh, uh, and even efforts to pack the court, uh, which uh, were undertaken by Fed uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh, the integrity of the court was such a high national priority that that was shut down. But the idea of packing the court is to dilute the current majority. That's the only reason you do it. If, if liberals had a majority of people on the court, they wouldn't be trying to pack the court with more, with, uh, more liberals. They'd be satisfied to win. Uh, but they're, they're not winning. And, uh, you know, if you, if you just look at uh, the, the appointments of, uh, to the court over the course of the last several decades. They've been inordinately made by Republicans. And, and that is because Republicans were elected president, and that's when they had the opportunity uh, to, uh, to, to, to make these appointments. And it has changed the nature of the court. I mean, we, we just 
I have to be honest. Uh, the, the, those uh, judges appointed by uh, Republican presidents have made a determinative difference and now are a very clear majority. And and so the left wants to neutralize that. That's the whole point. They want to neutralize that conservative majority by packing the court. And uh, we just need to recognize it for what it is. It's just it's going right back to FDR, who didn't get what he wanted from the court, so he threatened to pack it. Now, and that's something else. Franklin Delano Roosevelt didn't get away even within his own party uh, in his effort to pack the court. But that's what right. he did do yeah. was use that as a bludgeon uh, uh, for the court to submit to some of his aims. And uh, the left is playing the same game right now, and we need to recognize it. I always like to point out, and you're correct, about uh, who places people on the court. But I always like to remind people that it's not just the presidential election. It's a 100 senatorial elections around the country as well. That's what determines the outcome of this. And, for example, if uh, if there was a conservative-held Senate and a liberal in the White House, well, that's supposed to make them work together on a solution for that. And we forget that these days. No, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, you're exactly right to bring up the Senate because uh, the court packing scheme itself is going to have to be stopped in the Senate. And that's going to come down to whether they can overturn something called the filibuster. I don't want to get into the weeds, but I think you're you're one of the people that can actually explain the filibuster in a way that most of us can understand. So when the when we hear that in the news, what are they really getting at? What they're getting at is the math. Uh, filibuster means 60 votes are needed for cloture, which means uh, to move a matter to the floor. And on the floor, only, uh, uh, a matter only needs to, to win by one senator. Right. Uh, so in, in other words, if it, once it reaches the floor, all you need is a majority. And so the filibuster prevents minority legislation from getting to the floor without majority support. And, and, and it also that, keeps the Senate from being like the House of Representatives, which is supposed to be passing whole, things like a printing press. Yeah, no, that's the whole point. Uh, the, the Senate is supposed to be the cooling saucer, as is in the Federalist Papers, uh, for political passions. It's supposed to be the place like the House of Lords in the British system where things slow down so that the passions of any democratic moment, little d, the, the, the passions of any political moment, uh, don't change the entire republic. And, you know, the filibuster is a rule adopted by the Senate. It's not in the Constitution, uh, but the, the Senate and the House, under the Constitution, have the right to devise their own rules. And uh, the, the, uh, the House operates by its own rules, and, uh, and the Senate operates by its own rules. And so this is not something forced on the Senate. This is how the Senate learned by hard experience it needed to preserve its own role and authority. And, and let me point out one other thing here, just sure. uh, just so people understand it. Look at what's happening right now with uh, the Supreme Court document being leaked. You have the Democratic majority leader of the United States Senate saying, well, then the Senate and, and the House are going to have to pass uh, the equivalent of Roe in legislation. I'm but, hearing uh, that. But he, but he can't do that because he's going to need uh, a, a, a filibuster majority of 60, which he's, he's never going to get. Uh, in order to do that. He knows it. So it's a political ploy. He says at least every every senator will be on the line on this question. Well, by the way, as a pro-life uh, advocate of many years, I'm going to say I'd be happy to have every senator's name on the line, you know, up or down. That on, would be helpful. Line. Yeah. But the, the the point here is that let's say, let, let, let's say the filibuster doesn't exist. And uh, let's say that, uh, that the Democrats could get... Um, 51, 52, 53 votes, and, and thus pass legislation uh, that would uh, be the equivalent of Roe. Well, that would be such a thin legislative victory 
that two years later you could have a new Senate that comes back and does exactly the opposite. I've thought about and, that. And, it, yeah, it would just throw everything into chaos. And then two years later, it could just go the other way. The, the filibuster is one of the great political protections of this country. Because just consider, just consider we're not talking about this. Consider we're talking about, you know, the Federal Aviation Administration. Do you want a new set of rules every two years? Just no. about who might gain a majority in the Senate? No. The filibuster evens things out and, and makes it possible to have sane, responsible national policy. Those who are talking about packing the court, uh, they always seem to focus on the number four. And I learned math in Kentucky. I grew up in the eastern part of Kentucky. But I think that four and three that are there currently on the liberal side of things make seven, which would make it seven, six, which is not a balance of the court. It's a tipping of the court. It's changing the direction of it. What would that do to religious freedom for all of us? Were they to manage to pull that off? Well, look at how upset the left is over every decision or ruling by the Supreme Court that upholds religious liberty, and in particular, the free exercise of religion. Just, just, just look, at, look at how angry they are, how outraged they are. And so we, we don't have to wonder where this would go. It would mean having, you know, a, a majority of Sonia Sotomayor's uh, on, on the Supreme Court. And uh, it, it would, uh, you, you know, that you take Stephen Breyer, who, uh, who by the way, uh, you know, authored the majority opinion uh, in the Boston case, uh, upholding the rights of a group to fly a Christian flag and, you know, frankly, spanking this, the city of Boston for accepting every flag except the Christian flag. And that, that, was, entirely, that was entirely grand and wonderful. Yeah. But Stephen Breyer is also the democratically appointed justice who, on the question of the Ten Commandments monument, on the same day ruled in contradictory ways. Huh. You know, in other words, we need very clear constitutional authorities on the court who will uphold religious liberty and the free exercise of religion. And if they pack the court with people who are going to come with a contrary understanding, that it will be at the cost of religious liberty. Just a week ago on Monday, I was I had the honor of standing out in front of the Supreme Court as our client, Coach Joe Kennedy, had his day in, in court and, and got to put my arm around him and just uh, congratulate him on finally making it there. Uh, you talked about the case at length on the briefing. What do you see as being the importance of his prayer on the 50-yard line after football games? You know, Stuart, I see two big things at stake for the country in this. Number one, uh, it, it's just uh, the, the role of a, a coach in, in, a, in a high school sporting context being defined as a, a government official in such a way that he has no private life. And uh, if you look at the claims made by the school district, I mean, basically it comes down to the fact that this coach is always a government official. And, you know, it, it, under that standard, a government official basically couldn't even go to church, much less be an elder in his church or, or something like that. Because by their by their standard, the the if this person in any portion of life is in any way a government official, this represents an establishment of religion. If this person expresses some kind of religious doctrine, conviction, or, or uh, it exercises a practice, and, and by the way, it's ludicrous, and everybody knows it's ludicrous. And, and that's why I think this case is, uh, is, is going to be a failure for the secularists, uh, as embarrassing as the Boston case. Uh, but number one is that it's that question of whether government officials actually have the right to be Christians or, for that matter, uh, Jews or, or uh, you know, Roman Catholics or, or uh, Presbyterians and, and uh, you know, Baptists, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, uh, or, or for that matter, Muslims. You, know, you just go down the list. 
the, the, the ethic and uh, the logic uh, of the secularists in this is that if you work for the government in any way, if you're a public school teacher, then you basically must live a secular life. That, that, that's number, issue number one. If issue any child two, or parent can see you. I mean, right, that was right, the way the ruling was written. Yeah. Uh, the, number two is the, is the extremity of this. And again, I go back to the Boston case for just a moment, just because it's so fresh this week. Sure. You know, the, the city of Boston accepted, I think it was 276 requests and then turned down one. And that one was a Christian flag. Okay. So Coach Kennedy... Um, he could say he could go out to the 50 yard line and say 500 million different things. But the one thing he can't say, supposedly, is, is a prayer. You know, and, and you just look at this and you go, OK, let's just name this for what it is. The, the, this is an allergic reaction from a secular regime to anything that uh, that represents a genuine religious expression. And, uh, and so I just think we need to understand that. And, and, and as you know, the extremity of this is like the Boston case. 276 yes, one no. Coach Kennedy is told that he can pray in this tiny little place to which he can go completely by himself so that no one can see him as if he's committing an illegal act that has to be done, you know, somehow in secret. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things, uh, Stuart, I like to do is to take the arguments made by secularists like this and just say, okay, let's just look at that argument and understand what it means. The thought crossed my mind, given the two threads of the conversation we're having today. Let's say hypothetically the calls to pack the Supreme Court had already been successful. We'll stipulate that. Coach Kennedy arrived to find not nine, but 13 justices uh, staring him down in the Supreme Court of the United States. Four new ones nominated by the current administration, approved by the current Senate. What are the odds that he might win? I don't think the odds are that he would ever have the opportunity to win or lose. I think the big issue here is the granting of cert, uh, of certiori. I, yeah. I, I think the, uh, 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 the packed court you described would never take the case in the first place. I, I think all these egregious misjudgments by district courts and by uh, U.S. Circuit Courts of Appeal, I, I think they would all just stand. I don't think we'd even hear about Coach Kennedy. Yeah. And that's why. And, and this is what I keep trying to help uh, my friends and family understand. When we talk about court packing, one area that would be heavily impacted is our religious freedom for all the years going forward, literally for the rest of our lives. Absolutely. You know, under the current rules, it takes four justices to say we'll take a case. And, and again, most Americans don't recognize the Supreme Court is an appellate court. You know, in other words, it doesn't it's not the first court to hear the right. case of Kennedy. And, and it decides in the main, and certainly in cases like this, it decides if it's going to take the case or not. And I think what we would see in a, uh, the result of court packing is that the court would just, under a, a liberal majority, just never take these religious liberty cases. Wow. I, anything else you'd like to share before I let you go? I always enjoy talking to you. Well, likewise, I appreciate a, a conversation about what's really important. And I, I just say in closing, you know, if, if, if nothing else this week, should remind uh, Christian citizens in the United States of what's at stake every single day. Um, and, and so you take uh, this unprecedented and, and frankly, uh, inexcusable leak from inside the Supreme Court, and, and, and yet we just need to recognize issues of this stature are being undertaken by that court every single day. And e even in days when it doesn't meet, uh, the authority of that court is very much at stake. I just think Christians need to understand what a you could say fascinating uh, on the one hand, but what a uh, what a really ominous time uh, we're living in where we recognize everything 
that this constitutional republic represents can be swept away very fast. We've mentioned several times in the course of the conversation, your podcast called The Briefing. What's the easiest way for people to find that? You know, just at the, my website, albertmoller.com, but you can go to uh, iTunes or any major podcasting platform, Spotify, and just look for The Briefing, put in Albert Moeller, M-O-H-L-E-R, and uh, it should come up. Thankfully, it is uh, listened to by many, and I greatly appreciate that. Yeah, and put me down as one of your listeners, and I can highly recommend that uh, for people to listen in. It is a great way to keep up with current events going on around the country. Dr. Moeller, always good to see you. Stuart, God bless you. God bless First Liberty. We press on. We want you to have the facts, the truth, and the history behind court packing and behind the brazen calls by politicians to stack the court, to tip the balance of it in a direction for their political ends and to literally overthrow our nation's court system. Uh, we would like to invite you to go to Supreme Coup. That's C-O-U-P dot com. And there we've got a wealth of information about that that will help you understand the, the issue even better. Again, it's Supreme Coup, C-O-U-P dot com. You will be hearing more and more about that in the coming weeks because we're going to be talking about it a lot. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we will see you next time right here on First Liberty Live.